The phrase this week that we're doing in the Apostles' Creed is telling us that Jesus is coming back someday to judge the quick and the dead. Now, quick has nothing to do with how fast a person is. I used to be quick. I'm not anymore. It's an older word that basically means living. So Jesus is coming back to judge those who are alive and those who have already died. Now, judgment is one of those concepts that people don't like to hear or think about. Because judgment means that we might not be doing everything right. It means there is a standard to which we have to measure up. And we don't like to think about not being good enough to meet that standard. We're being judged all the time by advertisers who tell us that we don't possess the right whatever, by others who don't agree with our ideas on Facebook or other places, even by family or friends that don't think we're doing certain things quite the right way. Now, some have a hard time thinking of a God who is love also being a God who judges. I'll admit that can be a bit of an uncomfortable thought. But the scriptures teach both of those things. So we have to believe them, even if we don't fully understand. We must trust both the love and the justice of God. In the book of Revelation, John, John sees images of judgment. Those not written in the book of life are thrown into a lake of fire. Those who practice evil being shut out of the new Jerusalem. 2 Corinthians 5.10 tells us that we all will appear before Christ to receive what is done, what is due us for what we have done. It seems clear to me that when Jesus returns, he is going to judge. Now, there are a number of views on what that judgment will be. Uh, Probably the majority of Christians at least would say that they believe that those who die without Christ will burn forever in hell. The Westminster Confession states that the wicked who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of Jesus Christ will be thrown into eternal torment and punished with everlasting destruction away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his power. Well, even this idea of hell has some different facets, and there are disagreements as to just what hell is. Some believe it is a literal lake of fire, as you might find in Dante's Inferno, or Chick Tracks. Some would say that the fire is a cleansing fire that burns away the evil in a person, making them acceptable before God. There are some who believe that at the end, this fire will totally annihilate those who reject God. And others believe that the judgment will be some sort of loss of humanity. The idea that since God came to, Christ died to make us more fully human, that those who reject him will become less and less human, more beast-like, losing the image of God. There are even those who teach that God will, because of his love and Christ's sacrifice, save everyone in the end. Now, I don't believe in universalism, 
But honestly, I wouldn't mind if it was true. I do believe there will be a final judgment. And it will not be something that we want to endure. I'll leave the form of that judgment to the only one who has the right and the authority to judge. Now, what basis will we be judged on? Ultimately, we'll be judged on whether or not we have given our allegiance to Jesus Christ. I also believe that those who follow Jesus will have the works that they have done also judged. Notice I didn't say that we will be judged on whether or not we have asked Jesus into our hearts. There's more to being a Christian than simply saying a prayer or assenting to a particular set of beliefs or, as some people might say, living in a certain country or uh, voting for a certain politician. In Acts 2, Peter tells the crowd at Pentecost that they must repent They must turn from their old way of thinking and living and embrace this Jesus as their Messiah, their King, leaving behind their old ways of doing things and adopting the new way. This is where looking at the world of the New Testament is helpful, I think. In the days of the apostles, when someone repented and turned to follow Jesus as King, they were doing much more than simply praying a prayer making a statement, or joining a church. By saying that they were going to give their allegiance to Jesus as their Lord and Master, they were telling the rest of the world that they were no longer going to follow the old ways. If they were Jewish, they were saying that they believed that Jesus was the promised one, the fulfillment of Israel's hopes and dreams, and the way of the scribes and the Pharisees was over. If they were Gentile, they were saying that they were finished with the pagan ways of living and that a new king, Jesus, now had their allegiance, not Caesar. Proclaiming Jesus as Lord meant persecution and suffering for these people, sometimes death, death for many in some areas of the world. Now, Scripture does not teach salvation by good works. But it does teach that our salvation brings about good works. I like the way Eugene Peterson puts James 2, talking about work and faith, um, in the message. So, dear friends, do you think you'll get anywhere in this if you learn all the right words but never do anything? Does merely talking about faith indicate that a person really has it? For instance, you come upon an old friend dressed in rags and half-starved and say, Good morning, friend. Be clothed in Christ. Be filled with the Holy Spirit and walk off without providing so much as a coat or a cup of soup. Where does that get you? Isn't it obvious that God talk without God acts is outrageous nonsense? I can already hear one of you agreeing by saying, sounds good. You take care of the faith department. I'll handle the works department. Not so fast. You can no more show me your works apart from your faith then I can show you my faith apart from my works. Faith and works, works and faith, fit together, hand and glove. Do I hear you professing to believe in the one and only God, but then observe you complacently sitting back as if you had done something wonderful? That's just great. Demons do that, but what good does it do? 
Use your heads. Do you suppose for a minute that you can cut faith and works in two and not end up with a corpse on your hands? Wasn't our ancestor Abraham made right with God by works when he placed his son Isaac on the sacrificial altar? Isn't it obvious that faith and works are yoked partners, that faith expresses itself in works, that the works are works of faith? The full meaning of believe in the scripture sentence, Abraham believed God and was set right with God, includes his action. It's that mesh of believing and acting that got Abraham named God's friend. Is it not evident that a person is made right with God, not by a barren faith, but by a faith fruitful in works? The same with Rahab, the Jericho harlot. Wasn't her action in hiding God's spies and helping them escape that seamless unity of believing and doing what counted with God? The very moment you separate body and spirit, you end up with a corpse. Separate faith and works, and you get the same thing, a corpse. Real saving faith changes a person from the inside out. Galatians 5, verses 19 to 25, tells us about the fruit, one of the fruit of the sinful nature, and then the fruit of the Spirit. Paul writes, The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep, let us keep in step with the Spirit. <clears throat> it's the Holy Spirit that produces those things. Our real faith will produce fruit. In Matthew 7, verses 16 to 23, Jesus is talking here. And he says, by their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Jesus says that the fruit of a person's life will show who they belong to. This verse, this passage here, along with the following verses about the wise and the foolish builders, comes at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, also known as the Kingdom Manifesto. In that discourse, Jesus tells his hearers the attitudes and actions 
that characterize those who are in his kingdom. This is not a description of what life will be like in a future reign of Jesus, but of what is true here and now of those who give their allegiance to him. Again, lest anybody gets the idea that Jesus is talking about some kind of salvation by works, Jesus states things here that are quite frankly impossible for us to accomplish in our own strength. The good news of the gospel is, while we are hopeless in trying to be righteous, it really doesn't matter because Jesus has already done all of that. In Matthew 7, 12, Jesus states that he came to fulfill the law, to fulfill righteousness. On the cross, he took the full weight of the death required by the law and rose victorious, conquering both sin and death. When we come to him in faith and throw in our lot with him, the Holy Spirit indwells us and gives us power so that we can live our lives according to Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount and throughout the rest of Scripture. Judgment Day is coming. When Jesus returns to consummate his kingdom and restore creation, those who have rejected him will be judged and will receive what is due them from a just and, yes, a merciful God. That judgment will be final and it will be just. Now, those of us who call ourselves Christians can't sit back and say, yeah, all those sinners are going to get what's coming to them. 2 Corinthians 13.5 tells us to examine and test ourselves to see if we really are in the faith, to see if we really are who we say we are. If you want to know what a good test of faith is, there are a number of passages in the scripture to look at. The Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapters 5 through 7. The passage on the sheep and the goats in Matthew 25. The vine and the branches passage in John 15. The fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. Love for fellow Christians in 1 John 2. Living by the Spirit instead of the flesh and the Spirit giving witness to our spirit that we are God's children in Romans 8. Having the mind of Christ in Philippians 2. And there are many other passages in the New Testament that help us inspect the fruit in our own lives. So we aren't like the folks in Matthew 7 who brag about all the good things that we've done for God, only to hear, get away from me, I don't know you. Now obviously none of us are going to be perfect in living out a life of following Jesus. But if we truly belong to him, if we have turned our allegiance over to the true king to follow him, our deep desire will be to obey him and our actions will bear fruit. Again, this is not a new law. This is not working for our salvation. It is God's grace saving us and his spirit in us giving us the power to live like Jesus more and more. Will we stumble and fall? Yep. But a righteous person keeps on getting up. 
the verse is, I think it's in Proverbs, says a righteous man falls and gets up seven times. It doesn't mean when he falls the eighth time he just lays there. The word seven is complete. It means he keeps on getting up. 1 John 4.17 tells us that we can have confidence in the day of judgment because in this world we are like Jesus. Now, if this is not true of you, if your desires and actions are always directed toward building up your own little kingdom and you've not given yourself up to follow the king of kings and live his way, judgment is coming. Maybe you're banking on a prayer you said or a mental assent to a list of beliefs. You will be judged for your sins. The only way out is to repent, to turn away from living your way, the way of selfishness, and asking the merciful God of heaven to save you and make you his child. Give yourself up to the true king, Jesus, and be his. Then you will be able to stand confidently at the judgment day, knowing that it's all been paid for by Jesus. Let's pray.